0: Hello and welcome to the Birthing Dads podcast. This is your host, Stephen Kennedy. This is a podcast about pregnancy, birth and early
1: parenting. Brought to you by the Repair Foundation. Yay!
0: This interview was originally recorded back in 2020 as part of the Birthing Dads video series. And as I've been going through some of those recordings, I've realized that perhaps I could release these as a podcast episode. And while the sound quality isn't quite what I'd like it to be, I do believe that the content is still worth listening to. So please enjoy. You will notice that we pick up this conversation pretty much mid-sentence. Yeah, sure. I think the big picture in the shortest way of saying it was to create a birth culture for expectant fathers Mm. so that they they not only understand and care about uh, pregnancy support, birth support, early parenting support, but that they're actually supported to to do that as well, to, you know, they, they care about it, they understand it, they're informed. Because I think, uh, as you would have seen, there's been quite a rise in the way fathers are approaching fatherhood these days in a sense of emotional connection with their children and tenderness and that real, you know, that loving kind of way. So mm-hmm. I think it, the one thing that's for me that was that was missing uh, during that perinatal per- period and, and pregnancy was an understanding of, of my role and, and how I could really be of the best kind of assistance that I could be. And there's not a lot of information Essentially for expectant fathers, there's a fair bit for new fathers, you know there's a, there's a lot for you know managing the challenges of of new fatherhood. A lot of it's written. Uh, so what I wanted to do was create a video resource uh, for for dads and so collaborating with the fathering project on on the one hand. but I've also recently gone into the studio and shot an eight, eight video series about some of the topics we'll, we'll talk about today, just to uh, g- give men like a, a resource online where there's someone giving them information in a pretty easily digestible way that's uh, backed up by experts like yourself. And, uh, and uh, because I've been researching, uh, I, I had postnatal depression myself and a bit mm. of trauma and, uh, and I ended up just heading to the research and finding out a little bit more about birth and about the culture of birth and, and how, some of our statistics are a little problematic. And I thought, well, the one thing that, that hasn't been tried is is actually engaging dads and trying to get them more activated in, in support mm. so that they know a little bit more about um, what the ebbs and flows of, of labour look like and how they mm. can react to that and how they can help, you know, and, and reduce their fear. It's pretty much about trying to get the adrenaline out of the room, I guess.
1: So... Um, and I think also um, building confidence and self-esteem. I think that that's another thing. Is that there is a subtle message that it gets really complex. Where if we talk about men being left out, left out, or men being disenfranchised, it, it's it's a really difficult conversation to have because women have it so badly. You know, so women are treated appallingly in pretty much every aspect of society and so then when you try to talk about another disenfranchised group it, it appropriately in a sense gets drowned out but then I think it's a lost opportunity because just because you're less worse off than another group doesn't mean that you're not worse off but it's a really really difficult conversation to have um, it, it you know we, we should say for example um, Absolutely, 100%, or not 100%, but most of our conversation in Australia should be about Australian Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islanders. No one can deny that. But that doesn't mean you're not allowed to talk about other things. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it doesn't exclude that issue. And, and I think the other thing, which in my personal experience is, is I wish that someone had said, "You, you are a, you can be a good father. You know that you do have value to add. That you, that that you're not just an appendage or or a man. And and being a man is a bad word. You know, being you know, or that you you don't know how to. You know that they, they they always go to mum for that. And you think, and I think that hasn't been my experience as a parent. Yeah. Um, I was the one who cuddled them. I'm the one who they might ring or not not all the time, but you know, as in. I definitely had a role to play and I wish someone had said that you've got a role to play. Yeah. And that's part of my work. One of the
0: videos is about backing yourself or, or Mm believing in yourself with showing when the research, the research shows that when you are engaged in the perinatal period, the outcomes are so much greater. And, and the, you know, so I do say to guys, You know, you really have to believe in yourself. You can and will make a difference, you know. And and another whole section is on confidence, building confidence, not only in himself, but actually his influence on building confidence in in the expectant mother as well. And Mm. there's a few components of that, isn't there, you know. It's it's quite, as you say, it's it's quite a complex area. And uh, I've been kind of stepping slowly, you know. I've just been treading lightly because it's such a... You know, it's the feminine wisdom side of things, and I have to be very careful yep. about not putting <laughs> the door down and saying, "Hey, take over," because we don't want to take over. What we want to do is just make it look like we're just being there to be supportive, and and like you say, just convincing dads of their of their value and their mm-hmm. and, and just the the wonderful things that the outcomes we're seeing. Mm.
1: Hello, I'm BJ Roach and I'm an obstetrician and gynaecologist and I'm the president of the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists. I've been working for more than 26 years in obstetrics and gynaecology and I've been a private obstetrician and gynaecologist for the last 20 years and that has involved looking after maybe more than 7,000 pregnant women and looking after them during their pregnancy, meeting them and their partners. And uh, being there when they've had their babies. Wonderful. So, uh,
0: what would you? What advice would you give to the first-time expectant dad?
1: One of the great joys about being an obstetrician is meeting the partners. So, I've really enjoyed that relationship. And in fact, a lot of uh, the women that I look after are convinced that I have a bromance with their husband. Uh, I. And I think that it's because maybe when they come into my office, I sense their vulnerability. They're nervous. They're anxious. They're unsure. There isn't some prescribed role for a man. What are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to be interested? Are you supposed to take over? Are you supposed to understand that everything's going Are you supposed to understand everything that's going on? Have you read your book? Do you know all the details? Is this a project that you're supposed to be in charge of? And I think that if there was a message that I wanted to give fathers, it's that this is fun, this is exciting, this is gonna be the single greatest life-changing event for you. And let's make that a positive one. Your baby is gonna love you and you're gonna love that human in a way that you have never experienced before. And maybe one of the ways I reflect on that is if you think about when you ring your mum or you ring your dad, and you hear the excitement in their voice that you've just run. And you think, yes, hello dad, I'm just ringing to say hello or to say that I'm gonna drop around tomorrow. And and, And you're sort of half surprised by the excitement that you're sensing. That's because for your father, you are someone extraordinary, someone special, someone whom they admire and love unconditionally. And as a new father or an expectant father, that's about to happen to you. What an extraordinary opportunity lies ahead of you. Mm -hmm. And and then I think the other thing to think about is also the extraordinary opportunity that comes in your relationship as well. And another joy that I have is watching women looking at their husband. Because it's this really special thing when they get pleasure out of their husband's engagement in the pregnancy they when when i'm chatting to the husband the the woman's rolling her eyes but in fact she's rolling her eyes with humor because she loves the fact that her husband's engaged in that process because in the end for in the circumstances where there there is a couple then it is the two of you who are going to be the parents to that child so while In no way are we detracting from the fact that it is the woman who is pregnant, that it's her body and that it's her journey and that we have primary responsibility for her. Rather than seeing it as something, rather than seeing it as something that detracts from that attention from the woman, I think that involvement of a father enhances the whole experience Mm. for her, for the baby and for him. So it's add value.
0: And so when you do see
1: that that beauty of connection between
0: couples and the father's engaged and uh, can you maybe talk to the the way that that improves the outcome? If he, his level of engagement has
1: a, a, a requisite outcome in your experience, does it, Paul? Well, I can actually personalise this and think all the way back to when we had our babies. And my wife is a very independent human being. She had a very uh, specific perspective on how she wanted her pregnancy and her birth to be. And my role in that was to be respectful, but it was also to be supportive. And it was really interesting when I realised how much she valued my involvement. She didn't need me to tell her what to do. She didn't need me to be in charge or to give her instructions. But when I stood by her, that empowered her enormously. When she knew that I had her back, when she knew that I was interested, then actually that increased her confidence and her sense of purpose. And and I think that there's in, I think we sometimes forget that just by being with someone and standing alongside them, we add value. I think sometimes, and maybe it's a male thing, but we feel that sort of pressure to, to do something. Actually just being there and listening and being interested and demonstrating our involvement, I think that that adds value. So yeah. maybe that's another really important message is, and I think I said it before, but, but don't feel a pressure that you need to do something. This is not about putting pressure on you. This is not about creating expectations. In fact, it's saying the opposite. It's saying, come along and enjoy this. Come along and be part of this. Come along and share the journey because just the fact that you're in the room, just the fact that you're part of this is making this whole thing so much better for everybody. So, in fact, we're not even saying do this for your sake. We're saying come along and, and, and enjoy this because everything will flow from that. That's perfect because um, it's,
0: it's a natural segue into... Uh, I, I, do t- I do say that. So a lot of men, you know, I've worked with hundreds of uh, new dads and... Yeah, one of the thing things I say was I felt helpless. I felt helpless, and actually, I and then I turn around and say, "Well, were you holding her hand? Were you mopping her brow? Were you, were you whispering in her ear?" And he said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I, well, you were doing a great deal because one one of the things you were doing was you were turning on this oxytocin tap that you that you have. So one of the things I do talk about, and I want to to engage dads around, is the the possibility that they have an influence over the main driver of labor, which is oxytocin. So their love and their, their presence and their, and, and they know how to push her buttons. Oxytocin is the, you know, it's the, it's the hormone of conception. It's the hormone of labor too. What, are your, what is your view about their, their influence over oxytocin?
1: I do think that we do have evidence that the process of labor and birth, as in the physical process, is enhanced by the woman being in an environment in which she feels secure and relaxed. And we know that the process of labour and birth is impacted negatively if the environment is one in which she does not feel relaxed or empowered or, or if she feels fearful. Creating an environment in which someone feels secure and positive is only beneficial to the progress of their pregnancy to the progress in in labor and birth, to their experience of cesarean section, and to their experience of breastfeeding and caring for a newborn baby. Maybe just as a general statement, the world's a better place if a person's in a secure in relationship. Uh, so what could a What could an
0: expectant dad to do to build his confidence just around the idea of of, of birth and instead of and, and look at it as a, as a fun experience rather than something to be feared?
1: In modern obstetric practice, I think that we now see fathers accompanying their partners to just about every visit, and I think that that's very helpful because it familiarises the father with the hospital environment, with with the midwifery staff, with the obstetricians. Mm-hmm. And therefore, as relationships build, then you develop a sense of confidence because that's another way of looking at all of this is that the person who is most precious to you, your wife or your partner, is you're entrusting her care to health professionals and you're entrusting her care to a system. For you to be reassured that that care is going to be of the highest standard, then familiarising yourself with the environment seems sensible. And then you change your interaction with the environment from a transactional one to a relational one. If you have a sense that you have a relationship, then that creates more confidence. Mm. It's the same in so many other aspects of life. If, if you're, if someone's selling you something, and 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 you feel that they have your interests at heart because you've formed a connection with them, you're more likely to trust them, and things are more likely to go well. And so, I think that the, the single greatest thing that fathers can do is get engaged in that process and get engaged with the caregivers and the system that's going to look after their partner and themselves and their baby. Because the other thing that's, so, uh, that's highly relevant, I think, in pregnancy and birth is that things can change or very quickly. And I think that when they do change, that can be quite anxiety provoking. But if you're secure in the person who's looking after you, then your ability to accept those changes or the advice or, or the, the, the complex scenarios that might arise is very different. So if you make that your starting point, then I think familiarising yourself is the best thing that you can do. And then that might be through the visits, that might be through attending antenatal classes, it might be uh, going to the antenatal classes and meeting other couples so that you realise that you're not alone and that you can relate to what they're experiencing. And certainly one of the most special things that comes out of having your first child in particular is the connection that you make with other couples who are also having their first child. And that can, be, that can lead to sort of lifelong friendships because given that having your first child is the single greatest life-changing event, that's a... It's interesting, you've got your connection with your school friends or you've got your connection with your uni friends or your work colleagues or whatever it is, but if there's one thing that absolutely bonds you, it's the connection with the other fathers or the other mothers who have had their first child at the same time that you have. Yeah. It's as though you're the first cohort in history to have children. <laughs> and so you think our experience is absolutely unique. And it's, it's been interesting for us because we have five children, is our sense of connection with the parents of the younger children is very different to our sense of connection right. with the parents of our first child. Yeah. Uh, so it's a real opportunity to, to form a bond. Um, it took to form a bond with with uh, other parents and I think from that you can learn and you can also coming back to what you said before is you can also gain confidence through that as well yeah. because you realize what other people are experiencing and and, and the, the anxieties that they might voice or the, the things that they might be concerned about when it then comes to the actual birthing process I think that what's often very difficult for fathers is that the entire focus is on the mother and they feel like a fifth wheel standing in the room. And so I think that that can uh, be quite disconcerting. Again, if you've established the relationship, then you can hand over that trust. And I think that the person that you should relate to is your wife or partner. You don't, and and, to, and I think what we should try to do is to remove that sense of responsibility that a man has, that he needs to be in charge, that he needs to sort it out, that he needs to make sure that everything's okay. Yes, you should be, yes, there is an opportunity to be an advocate and it might be, I just need to let you know that she's got this pain or, or whatever it might be, or she's got this concern so you can be a voice for someone but you don't need to take over or you don't need to take responsibility for that health care. You're there as a person, as a partner, as a expectant father. That's what your role is in that place. And you have a right to have an expectation that the people who are caring for you will do exactly that. Care for you, care for your partner, care for your baby.
0: Yeah. You touched on advocacy there, which is brilliant. Cause I, I do, I do speak a little bit about that. I, I was wondering what, the role of your profession. What are your thoughts about dads who are more able to ha- have have meaningful conversations with care providers? Like, you know, the more informed dads that are actually that have been, you know, that have worked at, at, at with their partner in the build up. They know a little bit more about birth than they have in the in the past years. Say, do you think that you know? Would your profession welcome that kind of thing?
1: I reckon that's a brilliant question. I think that's such a good question, and in fact. I'm a good, uh, I'll personalise it again, because I'm a good example. I was a a resident um, doctor working in obstetrics and gynecology. And when our fifth child was born, I was a consultant obstetrician and gynecologist. And in fact, on the night that our fifth child was born, an hour later, I went and delivered somebody else's baby, Um, which is not necessarily a good indication of being a good father. So don't take that advice. (laughs) But, 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 I, but so I was very and and so I go back to what I said before, which is I don't think that anything precludes you. Anything should preclude you from engaging in the conversation. You have things to say, you have observations to make, you may have read something or Google something. and I actually think that the modern doctor or midwife needs to come to terms with that fact and not be uncomfortable with it. We don't need to be the authority. We don't need to be in charge. We don't need to know everything. And in fact, I think that the medical profession could do with a dose of humility in that situation. So therefore, you should feel confident to make that contribution. And then you should, and then then I think it's really important to constantly remind ourselves that there's a, no, I, I think, I don't think that you want to feel anxious about expressing those things. And, and you do that in a respectful manner. Then I think that the health professional should have enough professionalism and humility and their own sense of confidence to be able to respond to it. So I think it reflects more just good negotiation skills or, 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 or good interaction. And, and there will be times in which actually you do need to say to the doctor or to the midwife, you might be able to. And, again, it also comes down to what's the nature of your relationship. And, I mean, in my relationship, Cathy will sometimes speak for me and I will speak for her. There's nothing wrong with that. No. That's how, that's how we, that's what, what we do. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's not for me to question how that couple run their relationship. They do it in their way. So so, 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 be the couple that you are in that environment. And if it's appropriate for you to say something, then say. Yeah, fantastic.
0: Um, that, that gave me a great, you know, great understanding. It is, it is something that I'm, I'm really passionate about. And I think um, the more parents are prepared for that first time birth, I think that it's beneficial to everyone, surely that they're they're kind of prepared for the experience.
1: I agree because I think the other side of it is for the unprepared couple or for the couple who, there's two parts to that. One is that how much can you be prepared because really you don't have any benchmark at all. We can talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and yet when you walk in there, I mean, I have that with medical students. They, they they might have studied it, they might have seen videos, might, and then they come in and see a baby being born, and they're just completely blown away. As in, I remember the first time I saw a baby being born as a medical student, and I couldn't speak. <laughs> I couldn't. I just was so a, a baby just came out. You know, how did what how? And you know, I've studied all the science. I've done all the prep work. I, I knew what was going to happen. I, I'd seen it on a, a video. But when it actually happened, mm. it just... And maybe that's the other thing. I say to parents that the event itself is going to be extraordinary. And, and, and I think we sometimes focus on the event itself rather than the outcome of the event. Because the... And so we talk about getting ready for labour and birth or cesarean section and, and all the processes that might go around it and our interaction. And I say to patients, the joy that I get out of being an obstetrician is, I say, you think that you understand what love means. You think you understand the concept of joy. But when that child arrives, it's going to be next level. The the feeling that is going to happen, you don't understand it. You don't know. You think you know, but it is going to, and I say, for me, when a baby's being born, yes, I'm a professional and I'm concentrating on delivering the baby, but when I see that look in those parents' face, that amazement, that wonder, that what just happened? You know, who they, they're, 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 they're just so overwhelmed. That's what lives with me. Mm. Um, because there's often an assumption that obstetricians or midwives, oh, you see new life and isn't that incredible and a little baby and... And that's the image that people external to our profession feel. But no, we see parents being born, and there is no greater joy yeah. than seeing that transformation in a person. Wonderful. That just sounds, gave me
0: goosebumps. <laughs> it's, uh, it's such a fantastic um, experience that just yeah, blows everyone away, I think. Maybe we could go now to uh, those first maybe it's back to your own experience again, but it's just that uh, perinatal fatherhood, the first couple of months, the importance of paternal leave, the, the importance of, you know, really just focusing in on mum at at that time, uh, looking after himself, you know, what is, what is your advice to the first time dad, as he brings the baby home, you know, for that first time, what's, what's that like?
1: I think the thing is that while we have talked about all of the joy and the happiness, and and I think that that's what we want you to experience and what we want you to expect, it's okay to acknowledge that, like with many other things in life, is that there are hard aspects to it as well. I think the single greatest thing that's difficult is sleep deprivation, and that's something that no human uh, is able to deal with. Sleep deprivation is a horrible experience. It has physical effects, it has emotional effects, it makes us irrational. And sleep deprivation is inherent in having a newborn baby. It takes a long time before babies learn the difference between night and day. And that's very, very frustrating. And I know with our five, I mean, even with our fifth, we still hadn't learned the lesson. We thought we could train the baby to sleep. Mm. Well, I reckon that's just a false concept. You you try and you do all these manipulative things and it doesn't work. And then one night you wake up in the morning and you think, oh, we just had a full night's sleep. And that if you're really lucky, it happens within a few weeks. If you're probably more normal, it happens within a few months. There are poor parents for whom it can take a couple of years. So recognising that that sleep deprivation is going to occur is is really important rather than pretending that it isn't Mm. going to recognizing also that you you still need to eat and you still need to drink and you still need to do your daily things, I think is also important. And of course, different people will have different obligations. I mean, yes, I, absolutely we should advocate for father, for for parental leave for men and for women. I think that that's critical. And I think that, that if you wanted to choose, I think going back to the, what we started off this conversation with the, the feminist angle today it's a broad statement but i think that the 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 greatest advance we could make in supporting women would be recognizing that men can be primary carers because if we did recognize it and we elevated the status of looking after babies and we said actually you know what i might be a successful obstetrician and gynecologist you might be a ceo of a company you could be a a well-regarded politician or public figure. But the but when you were at home and you were looking after your child at a most extraordinary valuable job. Mm. Because if you think about it, in the end, isn't that's what we all want. We all want to be a parent or we all want to be a partner or we all want to hang out with our friends. I don't think we want written on our tombstone that I was a successful obstetrician. Yeah. You know, the, the the thing that ultimately, and I know that that can sometimes sound a bit corny, it doesn't mean that you don't have to um, make an absolute statement, my family is the most important thing to me, because all things are important and they will all have relative value at relative times. But in this particular moment, a man is capable of holding his baby. A man is capable of comforting his baby, of caring for her, of dressing her, of bathing her, of making her feel loved. Being male does not preclude that. And being female does not automatically mean that you're better at it. So I think that that's a message that we've really got to get across to fathers is that actually you have the inherent ability to do that. There isn't some gender specific ability that's conferred on women once the baby's born. So allowing for pregnancy and birth and breastfeeding, which are specifically female, actually all other aspects of caring for a child are equally achieved by a man. Totally agreed, and um, that's
0: that's perfectly said. Great quote. So you've you've been in this this game for quite a while. You've got hundreds of anecdotes about about dads doing things. Sometimes you know doing something really well, or perhaps they've actually done something that hasn't worked so well, if there were any trends in that that you could say, well, some dads do X and that was really good, or or even individual anecdotes that might teach uh, the expectant first-time dad, oh, well, that's something I won't do.
1: I'm reading a book at the moment and it's called You're Not Listening and it's about the importance of listening. And I think that it, it's making me reflect on myself and uh, and and wondering do I listen? Because there's a thing that a doctor, on average, within, will interrupt the patient within 18 seconds of the beginning of the consultation. Because as she walks in, I've looked after lots of pregnant women, I know what the story is, and so I just go, bang, this is what we're going to do. Rather than saying, so how are you feeling? Or how's the day gone? Or do you have any questions? And then sitting back and actually listening, and allowing that person to tell you what's important or material to them. And I think I could then take that into my personal life as well, which is, did I ask what was important to Cathy? Did I listen to what was important to Cathy or did I make assumptions about what was valuable for her? And I think definitely I could reflect back and and I do reflect back with many regrets about about being a partner during the and i think that that's okay that i mean i think that it's all right to acknowledge the mistakes that you made we didn't know how to do we didn't have conversations like this and so therefore we were very much alone in that process and i felt a responsibility to be in charge, to direct what was happening, to sort of control everything. And I think that where that came from was my own anxiety is that if I didn't have control of everything, then it would all go terribly badly. And so I think that that, that I, I, I can see often fathers where things start to go pear-shaped is And and it's not coming from a sinister place or a bad place. I think that's really important because I think often we'll say the man is trying to control everything in a bad way. He's only trying to do that because he's trying to control the environment. He's trying. He thinks if I put everything in place, it'll all be okay. And if I just let even the tiniest thing go, it could all be terribly bad. Mm -hmm. So going back to what you were saying before is that if we can empower you to believe it's going to be okay, Then And you can let go of some of these things. And your your wife, I mean, your partner, someone who you love and, and whom you respect, she's got this. So feel confident about that. Her body knows what it's doing. She knows what she's doing. She's got her ideas about how she'd like it to be. And, and then you let that go. Then I think the, the fathers that I see, and, and many, and this, this is what happens when I was very young and I had my children, and now I've looked, I look after people as I'm older and I can reflect back on my own experience. I've watched these fathers and I watch them with such admiration because, and part of it I think is, is a role that I play is that if, when I empower them and when they believe in themselves, I watch their gentleness. I watch their compassion. I watch their love for their wife or their partner, and and I think that's all you need. (laughs) You know, that's it. See, I think one of the little risks of these sort of conversations is that, in a sense, we start off in a complex place. You know, you're talking to the president of the college, a really experienced obstetrician gynecologist, a doctor, and there's a sort of expectation that there's so much science and complexity and psychology behind all of this. And yet, ultimately, what we come down to are those really, really simple words, like love, like compassion, like respect, support. And and in the end, I think that's that's all it's about. I think that all of my medical training leads me to conclude that if we stick with those things, then we're, we're already there. Exactly. Actually, I was just
0: thinking that myself. It's quite simple. A childbirth does know what it's doing. And, you know, dads just need to get out of the way sometimes and, and they need to listen instead of fixing. I think that's, that's one of my key messages. You know, it's our, it's our, we have to fix something and just listen to her. Sometimes it's not going to, you know, you're not going to really be able to do anything about it if she, ask her if she wants you to help. But otherwise, sit back and just let her talk. And she, Because she doesn't know what she's going through either. She doesn't know how to explain it. She can't put it into words. So all she's doing is, and it might not work. So you just go yeah. back and say, okay, darling, would you like me to do anything?
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, and it's a classic one of, you know, where you don't do that. That wasn't what I wanted you to do. And you go, you know, that, that, um, and, or if she does tell you to do something and you do it, well, I, why did you do that? That's another thing I think that is really interesting. And I think that we can talk about that with humour is um, one of the things, Cathy, my wife, is our our house is run like a sort of, in you know, a military prison, everyone lines up, does everything, it's all sorted. And particularly when we had five small children at home, it was like bang, 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 bang. And when she was pregnant, she was all over the place. It was fantastic because she'd forget things, we'd be able to relax, we just, it was really quite hilarious. And, and I adored her as a pregnant person because she was actually off with the fairies a lot of the time. And that was really nice to see. She was just happy and smiling and distracted. And I really enjoyed that human. And I think that's another message as well, is this is such an opportunity for happiness. if That sort of a time actually, rather than seeing this as this very serious issue or process that needs to be managed, it's actually a time to have fun. It's a time to think, oh, look at how your shape's changing or can you feel the baby moving or talking to the baby or singing to the baby or imagining. Kathy and I used to sit and talk about what they would look like and where they would go to school and who they were going to marry. We planned the child's life you know, while, while it was growing inside it. It was this, this joy. We, we, we knew him even before he was born. And, and sharing that journey together, I think that's... It, it sort of happens a lot in all sorts of different things that we do, isn't it? Is that we don't pause to taste the food. We analyse what's in the food or how much it costs or, or how to cook it or whatever it might be, rather than just putting it in your mouth and thinking that, wow, um, we we don't pause to, to think, wow, just, just the basic, very simple wonder of the fact that a pregnancy is occurring, that we are changing physically and emotionally and psychologically during that journey, that our relationship is changing during that journey and that we're growing a baby together and we're about to become parents. We don't pause and just chat about that. Instead, what we do is we go and find out about oxytocin or we find out about the process of labour and birth or we think about what bottle we're going to buy or what car seat we need to have or all of those extraneous things, which, of course, that's fine. You can distract yourself and do those things and those things need to be done. But give yourself permission just to wander along with your head in the clouds thinking this is fun. That's so
0: beautiful. And it's so relevant uh, to this audience, I think, you know, just we, you know, men are always kind of trying to busy themselves and eyes oh, that, you know, painting the nursery and all that kind of stuff when really, uh, they should be smelling the roses, just like you say. If my project and my uh, dream, my dream is that men are informed, they, they have a better understanding of pregnancy and birth and, and beyond. And if that is the case, I was wondering if you'd comment on what the future of birth might look like if men were a lot more engaged and informed and understanding of the process of a pregnancy and birth.
1: So, so when you say birth, I suppose that that focuses on one very small aspect of the journey. And I think that that's really important to to qualify or to, to qualify that because I think that it begins with not everyone chooses to get pregnant. So a lot of pregnancies are unplanned. So we need to recognise that the circumstances of which you arrive at a pregnancy will vary. But for some, for, well, probably for a lot of couples, there is a, a planned aspect to it. And so that can be positive and happy. Then there's the, the joy of finding out that you're pregnant and then the, maybe there is anxiety around things like tests or health, or will the will the baby be okay? Uh, and and then comes a time in which you can start to enjoy the pregnancy and enjoy the experiences that occur during the pregnancy. And and I think that what what has changed has been the involvement of men in that process and in that conversation and accompanying their partners to uh, visits and and being involved in. in in understanding what's going on, so that I think is a massive and significant change in in the way that we do things. My oldest child is about to turn twenty nine, and twenty nine years ago, it was only just becoming common for a man to accompany his wife or partner to a visit. And then when you're arriving, but whereas now I think that that's been normalised, and I think that that's a really positive thing. And there's an expectation that, that a partner will accompany. You. their their wife or partner. So then when it comes to the labour and birth process or a cesarean section, then again, there's an expectation that you will be there to be part of that. And I think that that again is a really positive thing. And maybe realising that, actually, I'm going to say it slightly differently, which is that you don't, the primary responsibility in, in a setting like Australia is you actually don't have the primary responsibility to look after your wife. I think that that's, because I think we sort of imply that. Now, you know, you're the bloke and it's really important that you rub her back and that you mop her brow and that you breathe with her and all that sort of stuff. Now, you're part of the team. And actually, I'd say to people that actually the doctors and the midwives and the system, we have the responsibility to care for both of you. Agreed, I agree. Yeah, and that's a really, that's a complex and subtle message to try to get across. But it's to then say to men that take the opportunity to enjoy this experience. Take the opportunity to share this experience. You don't need to drive the car. You, can, you and your wife can sit in the back seat together and, and the health system, the midwives and the doctors, they should drive the car for you. And you can then enjoy the journey together Mm. talking to each other, supporting each other, experiencing the pregnancy and the birth and the arrival of your new child together without
0: the distractions that mm. we should take responsibility for. If there was any other, like, last, you know, kind of pearls of wisdom from a father of five to uh, a not-yet-father uh, or, you know, or any anything that you wanted to add to our conversation so far?
1: Two things which, in, in, well, in and I'll say it in a way that actually they contradict one another, which is that I look back and I think of a lot of the things that I missed out on as a father. And I missed out on them because I was young, because I was distracted. Uh, my wife had significant anxiety and depression and I think that that impacted our experience of early parenting. And one of the memories that I often talk about is when I look at little toddlers, I can see the little dimples that they have in their hand. And I love the fact that they have those little dimples. And then I realised when I look back on the busyness of our experience with little children, is that I actually can't remember my toddler's hands, And that makes me feel really sad. Wow. And so I realised that there were many things that I missed out on, many opportunities that I might have taken. And... And part of me feels quite resentful that I missed out on that because I think I was never given the message that as a father I had inherent value. The other side to that is that I did discover that and I did realise that and I did wake up to that. And so don't worry if there are missed opportunities, don't worry if you don't get it right each day don't worry if things happen that you wished hadn't happened because you're just a normal human being and those things will happen in a normal life. And comfort yourself with the fact that there will be an opportunity and that those opportunities will keep on coming. And, and look for those opportunities as they come because the, the joy of parenting, it's like a gift that keeps on giving. It's just there all the time. When your child walks in the door, it's just a buzz every time. So yeah, so so I think realizing maybe it's about managing expectations because going back to that concept of sleep deprivation or the difficulties with early parenting or maybe a complicated pregnancy because in a sense that all of this conversation has assumed that everything will go smoothly. That's right. I, I think that we need to acknowledge that. Even your perception of what might be smooth, even if I say, oh, well, that all went pretty smoothly for the couple or for the woman, she might not think that that was the case. So therefore, we need to manage expectations is that this journey will have many aspects to it and some of them will be really happy and positive and some of them will actually be quite hard. And so realising that, but also realising that opportunities are not over to have a positive experience, that they will still be there. Uh, doesn't mean that if there were um, bumps in the road, that you won't have positive times ahead of you.
0: Thank you for that. Um, I, you mentioned about your experience of postnatal, uh, your partner's postnatal depression, anxiety. I wonder if you're comfortable just explaining that, because for our audience, because you know some of the men who watch this are going to be in that kind of in that space as well. So. How did you,
1: yeah. you know, how did you feel about all that, and how did you support her through? So the, the, that's a really important question, which is, so first of all, just briefly, is that we um, had, uh, we have five children, only three of them were unplanned, but uh, the first two were unplanned, and Kathy was not particularly thrilled at the time, but then embraced pregnancy and, and wanted to have um, a very positive experience of pregnancy and birth. In short, she did not have a positive experience of pregnancy and birth, she was really unwell and the labour and the birth were very traumatic. And we were both very traumatised at the end of it just by that process. We had a good relationship with our caregivers and we trusted them and I think that they cared for us really well, but at no point in time did anyone make any inquiries about our emotional health. And we thought, as Kathy's emotional health deteriorated, and I'm sure mine did as well, we thought that it was indicative of a dysfunctional marriage, that that's what it was reflecting, that our marriage was falling apart, rather than understanding that actually Kathy's mental health was falling apart, and that we were sleep deprived, and that we were not equipped to be parents at that stage, and that nobody was giving us any guidance. And so we just assumed that that was it, that our marriage was gone. And it was only 10 years later that I really understood that, when I would leave for work, Kathy would put our two boys in the cot and then she would go and sit on the kitchen floor and she would rock herself having suicidal thoughts that went on for two years.
0: And all I thought
1: was that we just, you know, she, she, I would come home and the house would be a mess and I think, why haven't you been doing stuff all day? What have you been doing? And we'd fight and we'd argue. And one of the things that I felt really strongly about when we started talking about this publicly was I wanted to make it really clear, I'd stand up in front of an audience of 400 men. You know, they'd all be having a beer, and and we'd actually organise for the Wallabies to come and talk to them. And then I'd pop up in the middle of the Wallabies and I'd say, I want to talk to you about perinatal anxiety and depression. <laughs> and it'd be dead silent. So we'd, we'd have to lock the doors, and then I'd say, right, I'm going to tell you. And one of the things I was really conscious about was I didn't want to stand up there and say, I was this really wonderful man. I was so caring and so supportive and understanding and I helped my wife through this story. I tell them that I used to fight with Kathy, that I used to yell, that we used to, you know, um, argue and argue consistently and that I didn't understand and I was not equipped to support her. And it was only by chance that eventually postnatal depression was diagnosed and she was admitted to hospital and she had medication and it took us five years of counselling to crawl our way back out of that abyss. And so I think that a really important message to give to a man who's listening to this story is that there are none of us who are perfect. There are none of us who are not flawed. That we have been through these experiences, and that we're not bad people. I don't think that I'm a bad person for the way that I dealt with that, and 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 so therefore, again, some self-kindness, some recognition that actually this is really difficult, and that acknowledging that and seeking help and realizing that you're not alone has enormous value. That was beautiful and powerful. Thank you for sharing that.
0: That was. Um... Uh, I love to, to hear that because I know that that's going to help a lot of men understand their their own, well, at least maybe prepare for for those things because I do also share the, the statistics, you know, the, the Gidget statistics, the Panda statistics, the, the COPE statistics around all of these things. And so I'm trying to say to them, there's a, there's a possibility that you're going to be, you know, supporting someone who's not feeling emotionally well and, you know... That, all that it would happen to you.
1: Yeah, I think that's another message as well, because there still is so much stigma around mental health. Um, and, uh, I mean, you said it at the beginning of the conversation that you had your experience, and there's enormous difficulty in it, in saying that out loud. And And then when it happened to the human who I hold in the highest regard, I don't think I got it immediately, but over time I realised, actually, normal whatever normal means but all people get anxious all people can get depressed and all people potentially can get into a diagnosable situation and it doesn't make them less capable or less competent or less worthwhile that's in the same way that we don't see someone who breaks their leg as being less adequate when you break your brain you know that's just what happened and so then you need to go through a process of Diagnosis and treatment and management and recovery in the same way as you do with a broken leg. And I thought, so, for me, in my own head, it actually removed that stigma and it so meant that I related to people in a very different way. We all have a breaking point for stress that comes down on our shoulders,
0: and there's a point where you just go, Okay, that stress is too much for this human. And, uh, you know, and people are deal and, and for other people, it's lower, and for others. Yep, yep. yep. Have more resilience than other resilience, and you know, I always felt that I had a great deal of resist, resilience, and I was, you know, uh, just thought I was over this. And like you say, it was a weakness, and that it was just, just get over it, get out of bed, and get running or do something active. But you're right, it is, it is just a matter of kind of what, what is your breaking point, and where do you, and and I reached mine, and Cathy
1: reached hers, and and I think. But also, and I'm sure, another thing I always talk about is I'm sure that I had something diagnosable anxiety and depression, if, but nobody asked, you know, because in those days you didn't actually think that the bloke, I mean, what's wrong with you? You, should, you, you know, Don't be so weak, get up and get on with it. And of course you're imposing that on yourself. And if someone had said that to me, I would never have accepted it. Absolutely not. And, and interestingly, when we went to counselling, Kathy went to psychiatrists and all that, and she was in hospital. But eventually we went to a psychologist who treated us as a couple and, and said, actually you're part of this story and Kathy can't get better if you if you if you don't come along on the journey as well. So, I mean that was the thing. So with Kathy and my involvement from our own experience and the Gidget Foundation and the work that we've done over now more than sixteen years. Um, I think that we made our contribution to changing culture. So I think that you know what you're doing now. It just never happened. It never happened. And and standing up in front of 400 blokes in a pub, that had never happened. Uh, and and now we can hopefully you know get that
0: happening and make it more normal. Changing culture, as you know, it takes time and. Uh, and I'm in it for the long haul. Just little wins here and there. To me, it's a win to have spoken to you today. Uh, you, you know, I've, I've hopefully um, planted a seed in your head and you're, you're now influencing expectant fathers, you know, across Australia and maybe uh, further afield and... Mm-hmm. And I think that that these are the kind of conversations that kind of make those incremental, you know, movements towards a better outcome. And I really thank you sincerely for your wisdom and and that that great advice. Really nice to meet you. Thanks, Steve. I'd like to acknowledge the Darawal people as the traditional custodians of the land upon which this podcast is recorded. And I pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging.